0: Thus, you must realize that you have no idea before you can know the idea. We scan across all the frequencies if we want to learn anything new. Let us begin.
1: What has physics done for me lately? Furthermore, the
2: equation E is equal mc squared. We have now acquired a fateful power to alter and to destroy nature.
0: That's like when you're in physics and you got a dream about saying, Oh, this is a physics excursion. Oh. What is it all about? The whole of human history all
3: falls in the dust of one stroke of the nail file. You can't really get to grips with evolution unless you realize uh, what an enormous amount of time...
4: Our own planet is only a tiny part of the vast cosmic tapestry, a starry fabric
0: of worlds yet untold. Good morning. You tuned into what can only be described as the best radio station on this blue dot we call Planet Earth. It is, of course, Community Radio Station 4 Triple Z. Be it on your conventional wireless radio by tuning into the classic frequency 102.1 FM digital devices such as DAB or smart speaker, listening via the Community Radio Plus app or streaming us live from our sensational website at 4ZZZ.org.au. And of course, you can always listen back to us, or any 4 z show for that matter, using the ingenious on-demand feature, also found at that URL. We also have a podcast now. The show you need to look up is called No Idea, spelt with a K, your weekly dose of science interlaced... With all Australian music and joining me today to speak all things science are some of my favourite science communicators, may I please introduce Jay. Good morning, Jay.
3: Good morning, Max.
0: And the master. Good morning, Gabe. Good morning, Max. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. I've got a question for you.
3: Okay.
1: True. Would you like to hear crocodile talk? Yes. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> so Dumb I, question. You yeah, yeah, have to wait. Because I'm going to get into that later in the show. And okay. we've got some stories from our friendly neighbourhood marine scientists. I thought about teasing it, but that ruins yeah. the fun. You're going to have to wait. Okay. Wait it out. It'll be on later. I hope it's a bit uh, of ai and I'm going to it. make you want to dump your phone in a vat of antibacterial gel because the study's just come out tracking mm. how many phones had COVID SARS-CoV-2 virus strands on them during the height of the pandemic. And that we'll get into after the first couple of tracks in my weird science. Max, what have you got? lined up? So-
0: Secret Sounds presents Sparks. The legendary pop pioneers will bring their creative genius and singularly spectacular live shows to Australia for the first time since 2001, playing a headline show at the Fortitude Music Hall, Brisbane, Thursday, 2nd November. Tickets on sale now at secretsounds.com. Proud sponsors of 4ZZZ. That cut off quick, didn't I? I thought you broke something again. (laughs) So did I. <laughs> is my microphone working? <laughs> oh. Anyway, you're tuned into 4 Triple Z, and the show is no idea with me, Max, Jay and Gabe. And because it's about this time in the show, let's do it. <laughs> I'm trying to avoid using timestamps now because of the podcast, so it it, it just flows a bit better. It may Uh or may not be ten ten in the morning. (laughs)
1: Listening
0: to the show, (laughs) what do you got for us, (laughs) Gabe?
1: I've got for you. When was the last time you cleaned your phone? Do you reckon? Never.
3: Yeah, I. I don't want to think about Um, this.
1: Every time. I'm already not listening to
3: this story. You've
1: rather some people right who pull out the cloth and wipe it down every time. I don't match how much the cloth does, except just like clean the camera a bit. But, (laughs) but uh, this is going to make you want to like get all of the leftover antibacto gels that are sitting around the house that you got during COVID, like just grabbing them everywhere, grabbing the freebies, grabbing the like 99 cent tubes of the stuff from (laughs) Bunnings and just like get them all, put them in a bucket and submerge your phone in there for a while. Because this research has come out of Bond Uni on the Gold Coast. They looked at data of 511 phones, tested for SARS-CoV-2, the virus behind COVID-19, 2019 and this year, earlier this year, mm. uh, and they found that 45% of them tested positive for the virus. 45% of the <laughs> phones had the virus on them. Uh, uh, and I don't know, this made me, because a lot of the time during the pandemic, particularly before. I got COVID, uh, I'd always been wondering like, how close had I been to a virus? You know, when it was overseas still and we didn't think we had any here, I was like, how close have I been to a piece of virus? You know, like, cause we, we were all getting posts from overseas so we were all worried about it getting in some weird way. Mm. And I was constantly thinking about, I wonder like how close I've come, how close have I been to the virus? <laughs> Turns out really close probably. And most of us probably had it on our phones and we're just like swiping it around our screens with our thumbs uh, throughout the, the height of the pandemic. And, and, and some previous research has found that the virus can, not does, but can live on phone screens for up to 28 days at a time. So it might not have all been dead virus as well. Uh, the qualified to this is that all 511 phones they tested were in hospital settings. So we can cross fingers and hope that that means that it's probably a bit higher than what you get outside of hospital settings where most of us are. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it's not the 45% of phones walking around the street have virus on them. Uh, but I don't know. They The researchers did sort of use this as a way to talk about how unsanitary our phones can be. And if you sort of think about like if you, were, if you had paint on your hands, you've been doing painting, you go wash your hands, get the paint off, hmm. and then you immediately go back and grab the paintbrush again and get more paint on your hands. It's kind of like how we use our phones. Like we have our phones with us everywhere doing everything with them they've got crap all over them we go and wash our hands and then before we go and eat dinner with the clean hands we grab our phone and check (laughs) messages right before you know what i mean like it's just like we're dipping our hands back into the filth pile yeah Uh, (laughs) but they did say uh you don't need to like go out and buy heaps of annoying single-use wipes to clean your phone all the time you don't need to don't need to go and use antibacter gel all the time. We had a story last week from Izzy, right, about how damaging that could be and how quickly it can spread, Mm. that sort of stuff. Using it in situations it doesn't need to be used in. They did have some good recommendations though which was one to use UVC light phone sanitizers in high risk settings uh, like hospitals and high density indoor places like maybe airports apparently these things can sanitize a phone in like five to ten seconds so you can just put it in this thing and it sanitizes it and then take it out and then you've got a clean phone yeah yeah. Uh, well at least a a phone with less live microbes on it Mm. Uh, and then there's good old hand washing if you do need to put Wash your hands before doing something. Don't touch your phone after you've washed your hands, is the short story. It's about. hard
0: not like, to, though, isn't it? Like, when just, you think just about it.
1: Get off your damn phone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think rule number one is don't use it while you're on the tour. That's, seriously,
1: don't. Well, that's. Uh, see, I'm just sort of assuming that's not going to happen. And yeah. Everyone <laughs> is going to continue doing that so you can just
3: learn how to cope. <laughs> <laughs> well, got, I've. I've oh, I've cleaned the, my phone as this story well is done. going on. I couldn't <laughs> handle it.
0: Fair enough. Are you got a weird science for us, uh, Jay?
3: I do have a weird science. Um, so this one is a little bit of archaeology. I love a little bit of archaeology. I love a little bit of excavation. I used to want to be a paleontologist. Oh. Yeah, not, not really. anymore though. This is about a dance platform, an ancient dance platform platform that was used pre-Inca times. So, this was what? discovered yeah. <laughs> yeah, about like 700 <laughs> years before about like yeah, around 700 years ago they figured people were using this. But anyways, so, while working at this dig site called Viejo Sangayaco I'm not saying that right, in 2014, mm. um, this team of researchers noticed that when they were walking around the site, there was this particular mm. area of the site that they walked on that that There was sounded... a boombox there. <laughs> it was an ancient boombox. It, it was like a it were like, like, That's weird. It
1: had the arrows either side, you stand in the middle. And yeah, had,
3: yeah. Like a dance, dance camera. revolution. <laughs> yeah. But they, they noticed that when they walked around the, over this particular area of the site, it sounded hollow. It kind of sounded like... It, it, like, reverberated their steps... They excavated a part of this like, little platform and they found there was like six layers of sediment that had been arranged in this particular way. It's, it's like clay, sand, ash and guano from um, animals such as llamas and alpacas. And there was something about that particular deposit and the way that it was layered that generated drum-like sounds when you walk over the top of it. Yeah, so it, like, something about it, the the sound just, like, echoes off it. It absorbs shock and just echoes the sound off instead. So his team, um, they tested the platform by stomping on it one at a time and then in groups of two to four while measuring the noise produced. And the same was done while a circle of four people stomped across the platform and the resulting sounds ranged between 60 to 80 decibels, which is around... Whoa. between a loud conversation to a noisy restaurant level of noise. Yeah,
1: that's, that's loud, loud. Yeah,
3: that's loud, loud. But did they, they record a soundbite? From, from... No. no. I wish oh, they did. What? I know. I wish they did. I'm sorry they didn't record they a soundbite.
1: They had a pre-Incan pile of mud sand and, and llama crap <laughs> made loud dancing <laughs> did noises they, watch their they didn't
3: record it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so they figured that up to around 20 to 25 people would have been using it at a time. And they reckon the noise from that would have been absolutely thunderous. Mm. And because of its location high up on a mountain and some of the carvings that they've found around, they believe it was like an area of worship to a thunder deity. So, kind of like making thunder, right? It's kind of, it's awesome. Like, I wanna, I, that rocks. Mm. How do you... Like, you know when you sometimes hear about stuff in science and you're like, how did they figure that out?
1: Right. Mm. It was playing with the llama stuff. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, like, laid it out in <laughs> a massive platform and then jumped on it one day. Or the llamas, like, walked over one day and goes... Whoa, that's really sick. Let's just... Let's <laughs> <read it."
3: laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I think this rocks and there should be more of it. And, yeah, that's my weird science. Brilliant. Do you guys spell estrogen with the O? Yes. Yes.
0: 100%. Game? 100%. Yeah. Good. Is I, that American spelling? Is it the are you are allowed, allowed to spell it without How the O? Yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: It's like if you just start with the E, yeah. then it's... That's the American spelling. Yeah, yeah okay. but my rule for spelling isn't necessarily like an American versus British thing. It's very much a what is more fun. <laughs> and it's so much fun to put like a little yeah. extra, like estrogen, esophagus, fetus. Yeah. You just like,
2: I'm just gonna little confess, little. I thought you meant the O as in the S T R O G E N. I was like, no. And then I realise I've been spelling it. <laughs> I put the O at the front, but not in between R and G. Anyway, go ahead.
0: Pretty and cool. apparently Sam takes it in, prefers um, Coke, so there you go. Yeah,
2: yeah. Coke,
3: Sam's a real one. <laughs> 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 with no O. Spell
2: it
0: with, yeah, with the O.
3: <laughs> anyway. Oh. Oh,
4: oh
0: it's,
3: an oh. it's a super sub. <laughs> no way. Well, super sub has no O's, so, you know, it's a win. <laughs> Play it twice. We'll I'm gonna play it five, 500 times. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, thank you for that, Slaughter. I don't know, know why you would, but uh, yeah. um, <laughs> listening to us, you now. Yeah, yeah. Anyway.
0: You like that? That's because Bones rang in. He was a super sub for last week. Oh, uh, okay. i play the uh, the moment yeah, on air last week. A Bones special. A Bones bone special. special. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that would be appropriate. You're tuned into 4 Z, and the show is No Idea with me, Max. Jay and Gabe, and it's part two of this. Ooh, weird. Ooh, ooh, weird. Ooh. Researchers at the University of Rochester, QS ranking, uh, four hundred and thirty-two. Gabe,
3: one hundred and
0: eight, two hundred and twenty-four. <sighs> okay. Have successfully transferred a longevity gene from naked mole rats to mice resulting in improved health and an extension of their lifespan naked mole rats have long been known for their long lifespans and exceptional resistance to age-related diseases and have been studied by this team for over a decade by introducing a specific gene responsible for enhanced cellular repair and protection into mice, the Rochester researchers have now opened up exciting possibilities for unlocking the secrets of aging with the possibility of extending wait for it human lifespan.
4: Yahoo!
0: Because uh, <laughs> we all need to live longer, don't we? Yep. Yeah. And it's gonna come from mice. <laughs> <laughs> well well naked mole rats by extension, mice, yes. Mm. Naked mole rats have exceptional longevity for rodents of their size. They can live up to 41 years, nearly 10 times as long as a similar-sized rodents. Unlike many other species, naked mole rats rarely contract age-related diseases such as neurodegenerative conditions, cardiovascular disease, arthritis, or even cancer. Mm. The researchers previously discovered that high molecular weight hyaluronic acid, or H- HMW-HA is one mechanism responsible for naked mole rats' unusual resistance to cancer. Compared to mice and humans, naked mole rats produce around 10 times more HMW-HA in their bodies. When the researchers removed the HMW-HA from naked mole rat cells, the cells were more likely to form tumours. To prove their hypothesis. The team genetically modified mice to produce a naked mole rat version of the gene responsible for making a protein that produces the HMW-HA. While all mammals have this specific gene, the naked mole rat version seems to possess some special something that drives stronger gene expression. The researchers found that the mice that had the naked mole rat version of the gene had better protection against both spontaneous tumours and chemically induced skin cancer. I wonder what chemically-induced skin cancer is. Mm. Mmm. Wouldn't you just shove a UV light on their skin and let it rip? (laughs) Anyway, this mice also had improved overall health and lived longer compared to regular mice. As the modified mice aged, they had less inflammation in different parts of their body and maintained a healthier gut. That's pretty cool. While more research is needed on exactly why HMW-HA has such beneficial effects, the researchers believe it is due to its ability to directly regulate the immune system. Eventually, the Rochester researchers want to transfer this benefit to humans. They believe they can accomplish this through two avenues, either by slowing down the degradation of the HMW-HA as we age or by enhancing it using uh, synthesis within our body. The so-called fountain of youth is nearly upon us, and that is my weird science for this week.
3: Lobsters, though.
0: Lobsters, yeah. They
3: they don't really <laughs> suffer the effects of aging, right? I'm just saying, if I wanted like other animals' genes put in me, a
0: shark, yeah.
3: I'd prefer it to be like a lobster, and then maybe you get like a side effect of growing a cool claw or something
0: that you can eat, and then it'll grow back.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Sure. <laughs>
1: sure. You
3: can have that sure, Max. <laughs>
1: It does involve, I think, malting, like once a year, though. That, that yeah. can result in death. I could death, live so with would that. Would you take that? Would you take mm. potential, like, just living forever, with the trade-off being you have to molt every year, and there's like a, a small percentage chance of death every molt. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah,
3: yeah. If you know, if it's something like, if you could feel it was coming, and then be like, right, I'm booking a weekend away <laughs> so no one, no one <laughs> can see this happen. Then yeah, sure.
0: Fair enough. You tune into Four Triple Z. And the show is No Idea with Max, Jay, and Gabe. And it's that time, Gabe. What do you got? Got some marine
1: science for you from our friendly neighbourhood marine scientists, 0420 is our number. Send us a text. Correct us if we're wrong. Whatever you want to do. The number's up on the website and on the, the Community Radio Plus app as well. It's pretty good there. Nice and easy to grab. Uh, but, yeah, we've got some, some croc talk coming up a little later in the show. But mm. before then there quite recently was a, a big discovery in the world of octopuses because some octopuses have actual gardens the octopus garden phrase is a real thing that comes from nature there are big collections of octopuses that sit in one area for reasons that we didn't really understand for a while there's no you know like there wasn't a good reason behind it they just did it and we weren't sure why we weren't sure why they all came from different areas to this one spot but now there's been a discovery that has shed some light on why these octopuses you know what? do it and are yeah,
3: I'm sorry. Between this yeah. and the the whale story, where it was like whale tails up in the air, sometimes uh-huh. sometimes scientists are just like, Oh animals are having these like social fun having behaviors, yeah. and, we, and that that's kind of weird and suspicious. Maybe they just like hanging out, Gabe. Maybe they just like to hang out. Anyway, social creatures
1: like to hang out. Okay. These octopuses then they have a very good scientific reason, Jay, <laughs> for why they're living in these gardens in our friendly neighbourhood. Marine scientist Peter's going to take it away.
0: I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden
4: mm, actually no, because even I, your friendly neighbourhood marine scientist, don't really want to be in an octopus garden. Why? Well, they're often in very, very deep water, in pitch darkness, under crushing pressure. So, not really my ideal spot for a cup of tea... While a garden may sound nice, this version of the term refers to what are essentially octopus nurseries and mating areas, where a bunch of octopuses hang out. Which, I mean, that, that does sound fun, I would like to hang out with a bunch of octopuses. Just listen to the reaction from these biologists as they've remotely operated a submarine shone its light on what they discovered to be one of these gardens off of Monterey, California.
2: This is great. Oh, yep, she
3: has eggs.
4: <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: Is this enough octopus for you, Joe?
4: I could not have asked for Look how shiny more. those eggs okay, are. Okay, I know they didn't sound that excited, but I can promise you they were ecstatic because on this trip, the scientists on board the EV Nautilus as well as their online streaming audience found tens of thousands of pearl octopuses curled up in a garden on the base of an underwater mountain. That's a lot of octopuses. And a lot of these octopuses were curled up in sort of upside down with their tentacles wrapped underneath them. So what were they all doing? Well, most of them were in what looks to be a brooding pose. So brooding their eggs. Which just leads us onto one of those things that makes octopuses fascinating. They're brooding. So this is variable in all octopuses, but generally the male will impregnate the females by essentially handing her over the sperm in a little handshake, and then she'll lay clusters of eggs, which she will then guard until they're born. Which is the crazy part, because... The mother usually just shuts down after the egg laying like she becomes only a guard and nothing else. She doesn't hunt, eat or rest. She literally just protects. Sometimes for multiple years, years with no food, no rest, just defense. And the thing that is really unbelievable is that she will usually die from exhaustion right about the time that the eggs hatch. Like, she hangs on just long enough and then succumbs. It is macabre, but I also think it's kind of gut-wrenchingly beautiful. Like, I mean, even Shakespeare couldn't write these stories. So if you're spending all of this time essentially doing nothing, then why were these 20,000-odd octopuses hanging out at the bottom of a mountain over three kilometres below the surface in perpetual darkness? Because it's warm. It's not really the mountain that the octopuses were wanting. It's the hydrothermal vents pumping out water from the deep sea thermal springs.
0: Oh, look at shimmer. We got the shimmer. Interesting.
4: In the video, you can literally see the shimmer of warm water rising up around the octopuses, fluttering their tentacles in the warm currents. At this depth, the temperature is usually about 1.6 degrees, which is freezing. But around these vents, it's a Balmy 11 degrees, which is a pretty significant difference. But unlike us going to Rotorua for a geothermal bath, this is more than just cosmetics and comfort. Research published this week has shown that the heat actually speeds up the development of the embryos, which is everything to an octopus. Longer brooding periods mean less survival, either by loss of the mother, successful predation, or honestly just the stress of developing over that long. And away from the vents, octopuses in these regions have some of the longest brooding periods of around four to five years. But the octopuses on the mountain? Those octopuses? The warm ones? their eggs hatched in less than two years, which really is a record pace. And on top of this, the researchers also saw really high hatch rates, which means that despite the very real threat of cooking the eggs in the high heat, the temperature seems to be boosting the metabolism of the mothers and their eggs. At this point in time, it's not clear whether this species specifically is reliant on the heat or whether it's just a preference that they have. But despite the steep price of deep sea research the authors say they are keen to try and figure it out i mean hey maybe they can like fundraise off that twitch of theirs. it seems to be pretty popular p.s i'd just like to add on the end here that just to make sure i'm not confusing anyone people also call the little collections of shells outside where an octopus hides usually an octopus's garden it's another word um and so long as it's nice and warm and in shallow waters where there's light i'd be very keen to have tea there they don't want to you know prevent myself from getting another life. 19 i never got the feeling your friends like me
3: Adelaide
2: Indie Rock Duo Teenage Jones are proud to announce the Rot That Grows Inside My Chest album tour with special guests Bella Amore and Alexia coming to the Triffid on Thursday 2nd of November Tickets are selling fast via the I on, Proud sponsors of 4Triple Z
0: Tune into 4 triple Z and the show is No Idea with Max, Jay and Gabe and we're going to hear you about crocodiles. We are. Do you have any animals that you're genuinely
1: frightened of? Yeah, years, crocodiles. Or just like respect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah?
0: yeah.
3: Not really. Else? No. You
1: reckon you could take them all on?
3: Oh, wait. Sorry. Just kidding. Chimps.
1: Chimps. That's oh, okay. fair. They
3: they, they trigger one. the uncanny valley in me. I don't like them. Really? Mm. Yeah. No, they, you have I like just, an
1: uncanny chasm.
3: Yeah, yeah. I when I see them walking around and behaving like people, I'm like, ugh, die.
1: You know? Oh. <laughs> Sorry. That's a hell of a reaction. I really, I really <laughs> thought so you going with
3: that. I'm really
1: passionate. I really I'm thought I- you were going to be heartfelt and like, oh, we shouldn't keep you in a cage. Yeah. No, no, this no. takes that nappy off.
3: No, you.
1: they, upset me. Not really <laughs> <laughs> they upset me. Yeah. Well, I'd like to let a thousand blossoms bloom because uh, we need to talk about crocodiles. Huh? Uh, they are, for me, Mac, like Max, the, mm. like one animal I'm genuinely frightened of in this country. For good reason, I think. Like we get a bad rap in Australia for being the the country full of animals that want to kill you, but I think the crocodiles (laughs) are like the 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 top of the pile, right? Like even a killer whale. I don't think there's ever been a wild killer whale attack Mm. documented anywhere. There's never been like like very few. There's been a few shark attacks. There's (laughs) a few shark attacks, but like the crocodiles are the ones that Mm. I just have. I'm not getting anywhere near water that has crocodiles in them. Yeah, and so I, stealthy. I'll, I'll continue swimming as much as I want. You know what I mean? In the yeah, ocean. But, yes. Uh, but but crocs, they're more than handbags with teeth. Beneath their scaly personalities towards humans, they do apparently have complex social lives. There was a study done 10 years ago mm. by some UQ researchers where they told Ausgeo that, like, they have the, they were looking at the social interactions and the, the really dominant males seem to, like, have a calming effect on the cro- other crocodiles in the area, almost like pushing... This like um, I don't know, like pushing this presence down and controlling all of the like young males and just like setting the time situation. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so they're they're, they're bit a like what
0: world. I do in this show. Yeah,
1: yeah. Hmm. You are the alpha croc of no idea, okay. of course, Max. Uh, and I don't say that because you've got your finger over the mute button <laughs> and there, but there, there are sort of implications for that right Where because we learn more about their behaviour we're like okay well maybe just having this default reaction of pulling out dominant male crocs from an ecosystem because they're the ones that are most likely or they look like the ones that are going to hurt a human or mm. livestock or something may not be the best idea Counterintuitive, yeah, okay. because maybe the younger males that are dispersing into new areas are more snappy and more likely to actually cause damage you need the big ones to, to set the scene and, and mm. keep things under control this was sort of the idea right we learn more about their social Lives and it it helped us. Turns out though that they also have complex communication or more complex than we thought at least communication uh, that sort of like feeds into the social lives they have and if we understand more of it then maybe we can get more insights like we did with other social stuff. So they do all sorts of things. They, They can splash. Wow. They can slap around on the top of the water.
0: There you go.
1: They can cause little geezers with their nose.
0: Oof, yeah. That
1: was the same as the first one. It's meant to be a different recording. And they can growl. Oof. They can do a whole bunch of different stuff. They've got uh apparently 13 different types of communication uh according to uh, some recent research coming out. They give the talking bit is where they're focusing though. Cuz they're giving this a good old go, but they are uh reptiles. It's like they they haven't got the most complex uh like vocal structures to deal with. They don't have a larynx or a a voice box like we do. Mm. Um, And their vocal cords are pretty rudimentary. So they're they're doing the best with what they have. This is a a croc called Lizzie, who's sort of having a bit of a, a yarn with a male crocodile who's approaching. You know, They've got something to say, but because it doesn't seem very complex to our ears, we've sort of ignored it, like Mm. the classic human thing of if it doesn't make sense to us, it clearly doesn't make sense to anyone else, so why would you bother looking at it? Uh, And it's also just been out of sight and out of earshot because so much of... Of saltwater crocodile life in this country, at least, happens away from people in you know, the northern and often quite rural parts of the country, beneath murky water that no one goes in or wants to drop a microphone in because it's full of crocodiles. Hmm. Uh, and even apparently, when you do drop a mic in the water, those tropical and subtropical waters are so full of all sorts of other life like fish and frogs that it's really hard to actually study to the isolate the sound. and yeah, sounds and okay. sounds and isolate the crocs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so you know, they, they they don't have a huge like internal structure to help them with complex vocalizations that at least would sound complex to our ears to start with Uh, they haven't been given that through through evolution and and we also aren't very good at listening to them so we haven't we don't know much about it but this is why these researchers at the university of sunshine coast are developing a crocodile dictionary or crocodictionary, dictionary if you will uh, a way of documenting all those different grunts roars and snorts of crocs and they've studied wild crocodiles they've also put in some from uh, captive ones at Australia Zoo, and mm. a lot of those recordings I just played were from Australia Zoo because you can isolate the sounds. Yeah, and you don't have to. Um, you know, you don't have to filter out all the frogs and the the fish and everything else that's going on in wild conditions. And they do have those thirteen different sounds that they've got now. They've grouped them into those things, including bellows, growls, coughs, hissing, and they can move their scoots back and forth along the, their back to spray water. The scoots are what any as a scientist word for what any normal person would call a, call a scale. Yeah, like they, nice. they can like sort of oscillate them back and forth on their back and spray water around and make sound that way. Uh, this is the sound of a uh, female uh, also communicating with a male, but this one had a body position of like almost like a submissive body position as the male was approaching. So it's a bit of a different sound. the male getting closer. And the female's vocalising. So there's a lot going on, right? Because that's why it sounded pretty similar. Those two recordings I played of the males approaching a female. Both females are in very different body positions in those two clips. One, on. the first one was sort of more of an aggressive, leave me alone. Yep. And the second one was more of a an inviting, submissive on. sort of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly right. Uh, so, which is all to say, um, oh yeah, also there's been crocodiles... That have been recorded producing infrasounds, which are sounds that are so low in, in the frequency that it shouldn't be possible with what we know about their, their vocal structures and their vocal cords. So they've, they've also got other ways of producing sounds that are beyond what we would assume they're able to do with their simple vocal cords. They're using something else internally. And how would they, uh, how, how would they
0: uh, receive that then? Through vibrations? They can hear it. They can they hear. can it. hear, And probably yeah. vibrations, possibly, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: But, um, yeah, we don't know how they produce it. <laughs> we, yeah, don't, okay. we don't know what they're using to make a sound so low, uh, which I love. Hmm. Uh, but, yeah, all of that to say is that crocodiles vocalise and communicate in a way that is way more complicated than we used to think. And if we understand those sounds, we might be able to pick up some, you know, if you, if you can hear a recording of a crocodile and you've got a great bank behind you, potentially powered with a whole bunch of AI reading through this stuff. Yeah. You could hear a, a call from a crocodile and and pick out its size, potentially what sort of behaviour it's exhibiting. Uh, you could look at health and stress and hunger of the individual animals, all from a safe distance without getting yourself in danger, without harming the animal, uh, and something that you could probably roll out on a pretty wide scale, at least, you know, more than just actually individually going out and trapping one by one different animals and at some point you might be able to just use a microphone to sort of alert people if there's an aggressive sounding male in an area uh, and just steer clear of that and it's going to be important to understand as much as we can because um, it's a species that genuinely got hunted to the precipice of extinction where after colonisation the saltwater crocodiles in Australia nearly were wiped out entirely by the 70s there were a few thousand that'd be, they'd been protected and they'd rebuilt to a few thousand. There's now well over a hundred thousand saltwater crocodiles in Australia. Like it's gone through this enormous boom and there's a lot of contention about if you know what how much of that is then pushing back into original habitat and how much is them maybe enjoying a new continent full of livestock and invasive animals and people uh, changing it and potentially making it more inviting for them to spread into new areas or in different higher densities and that sort of thing so there's a lot going on at the moment a lot of discussions that you'll probably see about potential crocodile culls and all these sorts of things but it is a species that has gone from near extinction to over a hundred like six figures worth of animals now out in the wild Uh, and so there will always be a bit of a danger for humans uh, to be interacting with and we're also going to be a bit of a danger for them of course that first recording i played of lizzie this one Lizzie was, earlier this year, illegally killed oh. by someone. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we still don't have a great relationship to uh, with saltwater crocodiles. And hopefully, the more we understand about how they communicate, the safer we can hopefully be around each other. Cool, That's cool. my story for the week. Beautiful. Very what? cool. They tuned into 4 Triple Z and the show is no idea. And Max, the, the, the Z-liners mentioned something. <laughs> if you've just tuned in, before the hour, we were talking <laughs> about... The, the animals that we're genuinely frightened of and you and I brought up crocodiles and Jay brought up chimps and the whole thing about the Uncanny Valley and how, how I just would prefer if chimps didn't exist. First story off the rank for those headliners, a chimp in an zoo, Aussie zoo got bit by a brown That's snake. That's what
3: they get. That's what they get. Mm. That's absolute chimp behaviour. They're always doing stupid <laughs>
0: stuff like that. Well, nothing's more stupid than this.
3: Okay, it's time for the best part of the show. Loosely defined as science, yeah, you already know. Everybody listens to 4-Triple-Z, just to hear us talking about what Butters just did. Subscriptions just keep rolling like the tires on a car. But something tells me that our science curers won't go far. But unlike an engine, I will keep you in suspension. We're all here to hear him talk, so let's give him attention. You're not ready for when he starts rapping. Gonna hand that mic to Max, and I'm not talking bandstamping.
0: It's lights out, and away we go.
1: My favourite bit about that is how the two clips at the end don't fade yeah, in together. together. <laughs> oh, just yeah, just acting together. the end to the lights <laughs> out.
0: MotoGP weekend, Aussie Jack Miller qualified in 13th on his KTM. In Saturday's sprint, he finished 16th. In Sunday's race, he finished 8th. So another okay. Miller special. No, that's the opposite. Usually he...
1: Qualified yeah, ten and then drop yeah. out of the top ten. So he's done a reverse. He's getting there. Now he just needs to qualify in a decent spot and then go forwards from that point. He'll
0: let's talk there. let's talk about the formulas. Formula yeah, three. Please. Uh the feature race was on Sunday. It was the last race of the season for Formula Three and was arguably the best race of the season. Did you <laughs> manage to catch any of it? It was. I out, did. It was I, and out I spent of most of the
1: time trying to pick out the three Aussies that are in Formula Three at the yeah. moment, doing yeah. mediocrely. Yeah. Uh, and then and then sort of I sort of catch one of them and go, oh, okay, there he is. And and then and then someone crashes. And then and then you're just distracted <laughs> by a safety car. And then you're like, where's the Aussies? Where's the other? Oh, like, oh, someone else has crashed.
0: Oh. <laughs> 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 it was about four safety cars, weren't there? It was unbelievable. And did you see the restart on one of the after one of the safety cars where this guy just went barreling down the pit straight? And kept going straight through the bollards and didn't even bother the seer He just took them all out, the styrofoam yeah, bollards.
1: Yeah. At, this, at, at the Monza racetrack, at the end of the big long straight at the start, it's quite a hard turn to the right. Yeah. And, so, and then you sort of do a loop and you end up basically doing one continuous straight with a loop in the middle, yeah. like a little whip-de-whip in the middle. Yes. So there's... You can theoretically just continue straight and like just jump (laughs) over the grass into the next bit of track. Yeah, yeah. They just stop people doing that. Yeah. uh, 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 And like blaming it on another driver. They put these. Foam bollards, and you have to go through a series of S bends like a slalom course to get through to it. And you're not meant to touch the foam because they can damage your car, Uh, and you can get penalties if you hit too many. That's right. Well, it Uh, actually
0: ended up stopping his car because the (laughs) styrofoam overheated the engine because it got stuck in the air air intake. This
1: foam flying off the small (laughs) F1 car.
0: Fantastic. So that was F3, classic race. F2 was this to be Dewan Jack Dewan's time to shine with only two races left including Monza, he managed to get to P2 during the feature race on the Sunday, albeit with a compulsory pit stop still to be served. Unfortunately, he only finished in in P6.
1: He did pretty well, though. Mm. He got some good tyres on at the end, was blasting through from about 11th to 6th, and then they ended up, another person crashed, and they had to sort of all just stay in a line and not overtake behind a safety car. Otherwise, he could have gotten a bit higher than that. It was a great race. He's in fourth now in the competition. He is, but he can't win it, can he, with
0: one race to go? No. No. And finally, well, not finally, F1. Ferrari's home Grand Prix, let's say. Appropriately, a Ferrari managed to get on pole. Alas, Ferrari got Verstappen'd, (laughs) which means Max Verstappen won. (laughs) But signs he came in... Second or third in what the Ferrari. They? And then Perez. I think Perez. So Verstappen, Perez, and then Sainz in the Ferrari. So that means 10 in a row for the Dutchman, Max Verstappen. And this is a new record in Formula 1. Mm-hmm. To win 10 times on the trot, surpassing the previous record set by a former Red Bull driver, Sebastian Vettel
1: hard to know how to feel about this stuff isn't it because in the moment it's pretty boring that no one else is winning a race but then you look back at these moments in history of like Schumacher dominating of Vettel dominating of of Lewis, uh, Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton dominating yeah. and it's like major moments of greatness of a, someone being just really great cuz like you can look at his team, Max Verstappen's teammate who's arguably yeah. in about the same car yeah and and does not reliably shine. come yeah no. sh- shine and get to the front and just stay ahead the entire time it's still boring to be in, though. Like, you're making history. You sort of just want someone else to
0: win. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> in other news, Daniel Ricciardo, the Aussie in F1, looks like he will sit out the rest of this month, September, to recover from his hand injury. And so we expect him to be back on the grid uh, come October, which means Qatar on the 8th of October. What are you, What's your read on this one, Go?
1: Oh, I don't really have... It, it was interesting, right, because I watched the replay of the... The incident—he was, was in a practice session in the race last weekend, and he was avoiding the, the, the other the rookie Aussie, Aussie on, yeah. on the field, Oscar Piastri, who'd spun around in a really awkward place, and so he just sort of shoved his car into the wall instead of crashing into Piastri, which is always the right thing to do because a car-on-car car contact is where serious injury happens. Hmm. Uh, and 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 then you could just hear in his voice as soon as the team checked in, he's like, "Oh no, something <laughs> uh, something is wrong with my hand." Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's a hand. It's always going to be incredibly to recover. It's a vital part. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. a race car driver is like the one bit you need to work. You need a yeah. foot that can press pedals and a hand <laughs> that can turn the steering wheel, especially something that charters around as much as the current F1 cars do. Yeah,
0: exactly. And finally, the Valtteri Bottas and Roman Grosjean report. For once, Valtteri finished in the points at last weekend's Monza F1 race. His Alfa Romeo was adorned in arguably the best livery This year. Did you actually catch that? It had the Italian flag over the engine cover. It was brilliant. I thought it was anyway. Nothing. Nothing. And meanwhile, the Phoenix, Grosjean, Roman Grosjean, finished last (laughs) in IndyCar on the weekend. Can we
1: please get him out of the report (laughs) now? (laughs) The time has come. This is the
0: moment, Max. Roman has publicly uh, said now that he won't be renewing his contract with Andretti Racing but I think it's the other way <laughs> around. He may join another IndyCar team for next year. Otherwise, he still has his gig driving for Lamborghini. Grosjean has been integral in developing their new hypercar which will debut next year in races such as Le Mans 24 Hour and Daytona. So that should... So we'll still, the Phoenix will still be in our hearts but maybe not in our report. <laughs> And that is it for the motor out this week. Good, good. Cool, cool. got a story from B. Uh, wait, 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 I'm doing... <laughs> 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 we, uh, it's all we, nice being cut off, isn't it? Nah. No. <laughs> oh. It's going kind to of be a song. No. Nah. <laughs> well, you we work
3: this out between the two of <laughs> <and laughs> yeah. That's from that. off air.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Anyone want to read out Marky's text? No, just off you go, thanks. No, no.
3: <laughs> so, Marky ducks it in and was said, Love your show so much. It's so genuine and wholesome. I'm glad you, you find that because <laughs> yeah. we actually hate each other. Now. <laughs> we have a lot of fun here.
4: You
0: tune into Four Triple Said and the show is No Idea with Max, Jay, and Gabe. And Jay has yes. a story for us on chimpanzees.
3: No, not on gyms. Stop. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> ah, anyways. <laughs> I actually get so angry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Plastic waste. It's -hmm. a big problem. It is. Not Mm -hmm. enough of it gets recycled. And uh, as we've seen across Australia recently, a lot of the stuff that's meant to get recycled ends up in warehouses somewhere. Um, About 60% of all plastic ever made ends up in landfills and only one-tenth of plastic waste is ever recycled. And the thing is, there's a lot of, like... We don't really recycle it into much. It tends to be, like, low-quality products and stuff like park Mm -hmm. benches and not really all that useful um, stuff.
1: Like token stuff or, like, a definite step-down in quality stuff.
3: Yeah. So chemists are always searching for ways to upcycle plastic into more valuable materials. Now they're looking at turning old plastic waste into surface... Oh, my God. Oh no, I'm going to do a max and I'm not going to be able to say a word and it's going to sound really dumb. <laughs> um, you tuned
0: into Fortress.
3: <laughs> <laughs> key ingredients, it's the key ingredients in dozens of products like lubricants, ski wax, detergents, and soap. So turning plastic waste into soap.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, this research was done by uh, Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, QS ranking.
0: Oh, it, it, 802.
3: Okay. It's 80. 363. <laughs> 363. So this kind of plastic is uh, made out of molecular chains of carbon atoms. They're far shorter than um, those of normal plastic and are capped with groups of water-attracting atoms, which is what gives them that sort of more liquidy. Um, vibe. So they developed a special reactor that carefully heats and condenses plastic into a wax with short carbon chains. By capping the wax's chains with groups of oxygen atoms and treating them with an alkaline solution, adding a little bit of dye and a little bit of fragrance, they turn it into tiny bars of soap. Um, Upcycled plastic probably won't be washing away mess anytime soon because they can only make about half a gram at a time. What? <laughs> <It was> like <laughs> fake meats again. But, but they do have photos here of these, like, tiny little bars of soap. They've, <laughs> they've, they've made them in all these little different shapes. There's, like, one that's shaped like a star and one that's shaped like a heart and one that's shaped like a moon of these tiny, tiny, tiny little soaps that they've made out of recycled plastic. So that's pretty cool.
0: Very that's cool.
4: Very
1: cool. But also, is that okay? Can you, can you wash that down a sink? right like yeah it, does it just create microplastics
0: yeah no. yeah
1: is it's it different enough well, that's weird D- like D- D- if it's only like a lego
0: cubes worth then maybe just <laughs> <laughs> day from eco radio said there was research done this year about fungi that can break down plastic
4: mm. maybe
0: we go can down that direction that. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah what are we playing next what we've got next
1: is a bit of a follow-up to what we just heard from Jay. You talked, Jay, about sort of repurposing plastics, upcycling it into soap, mm-hmm. of all things, mini soaps. But then we talked about how, well, maybe the soap can break down and not be so great when it gets back into water bodies. Turns out, uh, well, actually, we had a text in uh, for one suggestion of the fungi that can eat plastic, but you had another one, Jay, four years ago on this show.
3: Did you say four years ago?
1: Four years ago. I right? was
3: not here four years ago. Was three I? years
1: ago, was it? Must have been
0: three years ago. Must have been, been 2021. 20 20, <laughs> two years ago. Two years
1: ago. Something <laughs> like that. A while ago on this show. <laughs> it was 2021. Were you here four years ago? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was two years yeah, ago. I blame on this
0: COVID. Show.
1: Yeah. And yeah, look, COVID fog, let's just say it's that. The uh, Two years ago on this show, you had another solution with V of some microplastic micro-robots.
3: V, I've done it. Done what? Found a comprehensive solution to the bioaccumulation of microplastics in our oceans.
2: Oh, wow, that's great. Does it include a series of policy changes on waste reduction that can be implemented across the globe?
3: V, please, I'm talking about real-world solutions here. I mean, come on, policy changes to save our oceans? That's a little beyond the capabilities of the government, don't you think?
2: <laughs> uh,
3: I mean, fair enough.
2: Alright, what comprehensive real-world solution have you found? Magnetic,
3: plastic-eating, micro-robots. Jay, you said real-world. These are real, they exist! But doesn't fixing
2: plastic pollution by filling the ocean with tiny robots only give us a tiny robot pollution
3: problem? That's where the magnetic bit comes in.
2: Okay, okay, okay. Start
3: from the beginning. What are you talking about? All right, well, we know that microplastic pollution is a really worrying problem in the world. A recent study showed that 83% of the tap water tested across five continents contained microplastics. In October 2020, CSIRO estimated that there are 14 million tons of microplastics in the top 9 centimeters of the seabed. I
2: can't even visualize what 14 million tons of microplastics looks like. That's like an estimated 40 kilograms of tiny plastic pieces per square kilometer of the
3: ocean floor. It's pretty horrific. And even these researchers worry that their estimates were conservative. For example, we have no idea what the situation is like in deeper parts of the oceans, which some scientists worry might act like a sink for plastic in the water. Okay,
2: so we get an idea of the dire situation. Where does this robotic solution come in?
3: These new little bots were invented in the Czech Republic. They're smaller than the tip of a sharp pencil and shaped like stars. They're propelled by a chemical reaction that occurs when sunlight hits them, and they keep moving till they find a little piece of plastic. They latch onto it, and the sunlight-induced reaction prompts them to start to break it down. To answer your earlier question about how the little bots don't just become part of the pollution problem, well, what do you think? You said it had something to do with them being magnetic.
2: This seems kind of stupid, but... Do they use a giant magnet to collect the robots back up again?
3: Yeah, that's basically it. The idea is that scientists could dump the little garbage eaters into a waterway, let them work their magic for a few weeks, and then magnetise them all back up again.
2: Alright, that is pretty cool. But what about when they're in the water? What kinds of effects might they possibly have on the environments that they enter? I'm
3: not going to get too technical about it, but the robots have two components. The reaction component, which is made of bismuth vanadate, and the magnetic component, which is iron oxide. The robots and their fuel, which is H2O2 by the way, are so non-toxic that similar bottles have even been proposed for use in food industries. H2O2? Hell yeah, hydrogen peroxide. I actually use that
2: to help germinate seeds and treat fungal infections on my plants. But it doesn't seem too dangerous.
3: And what about the robot's effectiveness? If oh, you're testing me, but these are really good questions. Okay, In terms of capturing and transporting the microplastics, testing showed that after the initial absorption, microplastics had a strong affinity to the robots and they would stick on quite strong. Regarding their ability to degrade the plastics, the researchers described the robots as effective. This process basically involves breaking large plastic molecules into smaller, more degradable molecules. So the robots don't exactly zap the plastic out of thin air, they just facilitate the degradation process. As for transporting the microplastics, the researchers actually ran the robots through a little maze to see how well they would distribute and travel in complex environments. (laughs) No way, like little lab rats. Yeah. And honestly, the robots performed great. I guess the main consideration is that across the board, the robots were practically completely useless where there was no sunlight, so their use in the wild would be limited to environments and depths that sunlight can penetrate.
2: You know, people often panic about real life resembling the book 1984.
3: But I'm far more concerned about how the world is starting to feel like Wally. e Considering WALL-E is the best lesbian romance of our generation, I wouldn't complain, to be honest. You do remember what the humans were like in
2: that movie, right? I was really only focused on the robot romance. (laughs) Makes sense. But dystopian predictions aside, it's actually really cool seeing the different and innovative ways scientists around the world are responding to the climate crisis. I mean, minuscule, self-propelling, plastic-degrading robots. That's genuinely awesome.
3: Yeah, they are. And hopefully solutions like this can be coupled with policy changes and less reliance on plastics in our daily life for a prevention and cure approach to tackling the pollution of our oceans.
0: And I haven't prepared myself or whatsoever. (laughs) 04206060. 733 <laughs> is
1: our number, Max. So, you played so, the sting before of so, cutting me off and yeah. you
0: just had to prove your point, didn't you? Sorry. Now, last week, it had actually flown 56 flights, Ingenuity. So, this is the mini chopper that's on Mars at the moment that uh-huh. went as part of the Rover 2020 program for Perseverance. And it was a last-minute thing, the whole Ingenuity uh, taking a drone to Mars t- to scout around. It was only ever meant to fly five flights. And it's flown 56 flights. So a 10 times magnitude of scale. It's crazy. It is yeah. crazy. Do
3: you think it'll get to 69?
0: Well, for Izzy's sake, let's hope so. Let's hope so. <laughs> the, um, yeah, so the, um, they were going to retire it. it. Like its first flight was in April 2021. And then they were going to retire it in September 2021 and then there was an uproar with the public so the NASA (laughs) scientists said okay we'll keep it going just as a novelty now they're seeing that it's actually very very functional in the uh opera for perseverance for scouting ahead and giving perseverance the best uh trail to follow where uh, yeah anyway so that's that's kind of what they're
1: up to now right because Mm. they sort of blew it ahead to do big stuff and and proof of concept and then they let they really slow down the flights to let the rover catch up yes and now they're pretty much in the same spot right yeah and they have to be for
0: it to communicate back to earth it uses the rover as its communication relay yeah so yeah well done and now pretty well any rover that goes to another planet will have a, a drone attached
3: nice i'm thinking
0: yeah spacex has already equaled and now exceeded its launches from number from last year. So last year's number was 61. And they're now into 62 flights. And there's still four months left to fly this year. So hopefully they'll get close to their aspirational goal of a 100 launches. Mm. Now, I'm a bit upset because Izzy's not here. Because Izzy's <laughs> she's been watching... All the X-Files uh-huh. lately. Anyway, the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, or RO, unveiled the Pentagon's new website last Wednesday. According to a note from the Office's General, uh, di- General, Director, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, the website will be used to inform the public about findings as well as offer a way for the public to report sightings. While the site is still under construction, it features a section where the office will be accepting reports from current or U.S. government employees, service members or contractors with direct knowledge of U.S. government programs or activities related to UAP.
3: I see. Dating
0: back to 1945. Wow. These reports will help the office complete a historical record of such events as requested by the United States Congress. Space lasers. Mm. I I pity the person who has to sit at the other end. Yeah, Uh, yeah. yeah, uh, (laughs) uh, Yes, no, yes, the filter. Yeah. Space lasers. Later this year, a commercial resupply services mission will lift a refrigerator-sized device to the International Space Station. The device is called Illuma-T or Integrated Low Earth Orbit User Modem and Amplifier Terminal will complete NASA's first two-way end-to-end laser communication system. Harnessing laser beams, Illumina-T will transmit information to another satellite at the rate of a respectable Earth-based internet connection. Sending information with lasers has a few advantages over radio. For one, laser equipment is lighter and less power-intensive making it easier to fit on a spacecraft. Plus, because laser light wavelengths are shorter than radio wavelengths, a laser communications link can transmit orders of magnitude more information. Now, finally, this is what I should have played the X-Files for, but that's all right. Apparently, there is a planet out there. Well, this is what a pair of Japanese astrophysicists think. Mm -hmm. Um, One is with... uh, Kinki University QS ranking. What
1: 2020?
0: university? Yeah, it's it's called Kinki University.
3: <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we're trusting anything they say why?
1: <laughs>
3: Revising
0: my answer to 2200.
3: Is it 69?
0: 1200.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the other is from the National Astronomical uh, Observatory of Japan. Have found possible evidence of an Earth like planet residing in. In the Kuiper Belt, the Kuiper Belt is one of the largest structures in our solar system, which resides beyond the planet Neptune. In their paper published in Astronomical Journal, the pair describe properties of the Kuiper Belt that they believe are consistent with the existence of a yet-to-be-undiscovered orbiting planet that is not much bigger than the blue dot we call Earth. I'll leave that with you.
3: Very cool.
0: And that is it for the space news right, this week. Sorry, I'm still hung up on the name of the university. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm sort of tuned out after that. <laughs> I was trying to Google it. <laughs> Why would you Google that name? <laughs> uh,
1: more trying to figure out if it was real or just Max writing down the other <laughs> wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. It's actually, it's, it's, um, it's got, it's, That's its nickname, really. It, it's Kindai University, but they call it Kinky University when I looked it up on the on the QS rankings. So.
3: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: Okay. Are you Are going to sign us out, Gave?
1: Yeah, I am. That's all we have time for this morning <laughs> on the show. We're uh, talking science on No Idea. That's no other K. You can find it on the www.z.org.au website if you want to listen to this show or any of the last couple of shows, including all the music we've played. Uh, there's a podcast version floating around as well if you want to listen to it without the music and just us yapping on about kinky universities. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Eco Radio is up next, taking it to 1pm. We'll be back next week from 10 to 12. Thank you, Max. Thank you, J B and Peter for stories this week and to T for a, play- a playlist this week. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. We will. Speak you
4: <laughs> next week. See ya. I'm a goddamn marvel of modern science.